Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. You're listening to episode number 90 with Bethany Haley Williams. Y'all, this is a powerful, powerful episode. Bethany is the executive director of Exile International. It's an organization designed to help restore former child soldiers and children orphaned by war. And with the current landscape of the world, with war and refugee situations, I think this is such an incredibly important topic for us to discuss as moms Because it would be so easy for us to insulate ourselves from the pain that other children experience around the world. But I think it's incredibly important for us to open our hearts so that we can serve in prayer or maybe step out in action and getting involved. But whatever it is, we need to hear the stories. And and it's not just stories of pain and sorrow. Bethany shares stories of hope and redemption and forgiveness and stories that are just going to inspire you. Regardless of what situation you're in right now, maybe things are going great for you. Maybe you're having a hard time. And I think as Bethany shares her story and the stories of these children, it's going to show you just what God can do, how he can redeem us no matter how low we get, no matter how difficult things become. He can redeem any situation and any story. So definitely hit pause if you're listening with your kids. Otherwise, keep listening to the discussion today with Bethany Haley Williams. Just before we get into the interview, though, I want to say thank you to this week's iTunes Reviewer of the Week. And that's Jenny Jane McBee. And she says, this podcast envisions all moms everywhere to nurture and train and enjoy their kids and to follow the God-given passions of their heart. It eliminates the overwhelm, gives practical handrails to establish more peace and order within our homes while never ceasing to point everyone toward the heart of God. So Jenny Jane McBee, thank you so much for that review. And if you want to leave a review, just head over to iTunes and search up the Inspired to Action podcast. I love your honest review there. It helps the podcast get seen by more people and it gives me great feedback to know what's clicking with you, what isn't clicking with you. And every week I pick one winner to get a free copy of the Inspired to Action Planner, which actually is now editable. So you can type in it on your computer and print out those pages if you don't have good handwriting, kind of like me. So Jenny Jane McBee, if you want to send me an email with maybe a screenshot of your iTunes username or however you want to do that, just send it to inspiredtoaction at gmail.com and I will send that planner off to you. Now, I also want to give a huge shout out to our show sponsor, plantoeat.com. And they have a free 30-day trial that you can check out. Just go to plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action. Now, I have an absolutely crazy six weeks coming up. Just, I have so much on my plate. It's not even funny. I actually spent pretty much the whole morning scheduling out everything that I was going to be doing for the next six weeks. 
And it made me even more thankful for Plan to Eat because I can plan out all of my meal planning. I'm probably just going to pull out all of the old meal plans that I've done, drag, drop, shop, and just get it done. And I'm so thankful for the way that they've set it up that you can use old meal plans. So I'm not having to add that to my to-do list every week for the next next six weeks. So if you want kind of a... uh, brief overview or a jump start that's the word I'm looking for. If you want to jump start into getting all set up on plantoeat.com, you can go and get their free trial and then also check out mealplanningbootcamp.com. That is my website where I have created a tutorial basically on how to get everything in there as fast as possible, all your recipes in there, get menu plans up and running and get all set up in I think it's just 5 days. So be sure to check that out. Go to mealplanningbootcamp.com and that's going to have everything you need there. You can sign up for the free 30-day trial there. You can watch the videos there, all that sort of stuff. So be sure to head over and check that out. And without any further ado, let's jump into our chat today with Bethany Haley Williams. Hey, Bethany, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I'm really excited to share your story Um, I think it's just a beautiful story of redemption, not only in your life, but in the lives of the kids that you work with as well. So just to get our listeners up to speed, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are um, and and, um, what you do? Sure. Yeah. Well, my background is psychology. Um, So um, I have a um, counseling and coaching practice in Nashville. And um, I founded an organization called Exile International in 2008, and we work with um, former child soldiers and children who've been orphaned by war. So we do um, comprehensive rehabilitative care work with rescued child soldiers, rescued sex slaves, and then children who've been orphaned by war. And we do that work in Congo and in Uganda. So how do you go from a regular old practice in Nashville to Congo to countries in Africa? What what started that journey? Well, um, my heart ever since I was a little girl was really um, for mission work. I was the kid who was on the front row whenever missionaries came o- over to our church and spoke. Um, a lot of kids skipped out on, on that Sunday, but I was the one on the front row and I just really wanted to learn more. So Africa was a part of my heart ever since um, I was young um, and had done mission work kind of off and on, um, was married and that marriage ended in a really hard divorce. We were both leaders in our communities and fell really far off of the pedestal. And so that was really difficult. Um, and the end result of that for me was a severe depression and um, a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, which for a, a psychologist, you know, you, you think in your mind, I'm never going to be there. I won't be that deep um, in that dark place, but I, but I really was. And a lot of that came from years of hiding and putting on a mask and acting like everything was okay when it, when it really wasn't at all. Um, so I had a lot of pain that was hidden behind my heart. But I realized that I just I had to reach out for help in order to get better. And um, I say a lot that when your level of desperateness overrides your fear of embarrassment, then true healing can begin. And that was part of my journey and my story. I had to learn what it was like um, to be broken and to reach out for help. And for me, that meant going into a treatment center for post-traumatic stress disorder and depression. Um, 
and I sold my car to pay for treatment. I was really in a financially rough place. But the last Sunday where I was in treatment in Dallas, um, I walked to the nearest church. It was an outpatient program. And um, there was a man there who had survived the Rwandan genocide, and he was sharing his story. And he went on to share how, out of his brokenness from the genocide, he actually founded an organization that worked with um, survivors of the genocide and communities in Africa who um, just needed help with learning reconciliation and forgiveness and trauma care. So immediately after he spoke, I, I asked if I could speak with him, and my heart has always been for children. And so I asked him, what ha- you know, what's happened to the children and what happens to children when they've gone through conflict and, and wars and genocides? And he said, you know, there's just not a whole lot out there. Um, so fast forward a couple of years, I go on a mission trip to Congo for the first time with that organization. And that's what led me into really a war zone. So I'm super curious about when you talked about just hitting rock bottom and your level of desperation, you know, exceeding your level of embarrassment. Um, was that a process that you went through or did you just like plummet to rock bottom and then you're like, okay, I need help. Or did you kind of have to be like, okay, I need help. And, and you have to kind of talk yourself into reaching out to somebody. Cause I know a lot of moms feel like they need to have it all together, that they need to be perfect, which I imagine as a psychologist, you probably felt like you needed to have it all together too. What was that process like for you to actually reach out to help like you know i know you, you said you went for treatment but there had to be some sort of internal processing that happened before that how did you get to that point yeah i think um it was really all of those things combined i was holding on to every ounce of pride that i had i'm pretty stubborn and um have always been a perfectionist i've always been an overachiever um and i i always wanted to kind of have it all together so um, all of the walls coming down whenever, um, whenever the marriage fell apart was, I guess, um, the first step. And, you know, it was, it was a couple years later until it really, really hit me and everything flooded to the surface and I didn't have a choice, um, except to reach out. I became suicidal at one point and, um, I realized the only way I'm going to be able to hold my life together is to reach out for help. I'm probably the last person at that point who would have reached out for help. Um, and I think the Lord knew that. He knew that I really had to be broken to the point that I didn't have another uh, um, option. And it's kind of unfortunate because I think that if I, you know, you always think if I knew then what I know now, mm-hmm. things would be different. Um but it's really taught me the importance of being real and being vulnerable and having a community around you that you don't say I'm fine if you're not fine. You have those group of people that you say I'm struggling and this is what I'm struggling with. And so for me, I realized when you try to hold the mask up and then balance all of your pain and brokenness and then try to live your life, it's just too much. But if you're able to take the mask down and talk about your brokenness and your heartache or your pain, then you just have more energy to actually live your life um, as a whole person. So for me, it was um, it was a process of just like the Lord really um, prying apart my knuckles um, as I tried to hold on to my pride and to really my mask. Mm-hmm. Have you found that the kids that you 
work through all of their trauma with, are they starting out at a, a typically just a, a vulnerable place where they're open to sharing their experiences, or is it more of a trying to be okay? Um, I think that, so when we start working with the kids that we work with, they have been severely traumatized. So I don't use the word torture lightly, but they have been tortured. Um, when you're, when you're a child soldier or when you've been kidnapped, even at young ages, like six, seven, eight, nine years old, and you've been in captivity for years, you can only imagine, um, the experiences that they've gone through. And so, um, really they've survived by being strong and that's really all they know. They don't know how not to be strong. So, um, we use art therapy and we use dance and drama and music and it helps them learn how to be a child again. And we do a lot of this in a group setting. So they're able to walk through life with children who've also survived war wars, who've also been rescued child soldiers, um, also been used as sex slaves. So, um, they're, they really start to understand that God can God sees in me more than what I was forced to do, what was forced upon me. Um, and we use that language a lot in the programs that, that we use with the kids, that you're more than your past, you're more than what you were forced to do, that you are a child of God and you are um, really your future. And, and we um, really encourage them to dream. So as we do our therapy, we ask them to draw their dreams about their future and and um, we use the verse Jeremiah twenty nine eleven and 12 a lot with, with the kids. So they're able to realize that, um, that God was with them in their dark times, but God is also with them as they dream. Um, a lot of the kids never really thought about their future and their, and their dreams because they just thought they would die in the bush. They thought they would die in captivity. So they're able to dream again, and it helps them to come back to life. Is it hard for them to dream? Do you have to walk them through the process? You know, you can see it. You can see a definite shift in their thought process. Um, part one activity that we do, um, we give them two handkerchiefs, and the handkerchiefs represent, of course, our tears because we use handkerchiefs to handkerchiefs to cap capture our tears. And we talk about um, God also captures our tears in His bottle. So we give them one handkerchief where they draw their um, heartache, and so um, some of that is full of um, guns and war and bodies. And then we give them another handkerchief to draw their hopes and their dreams. So they typically start with the heartache one first. And most of the time that's because that those, those thoughts are just so at the forefront of their minds and they're etched on their soul, just these um, images you know, that they've experienced. And then you can see their countenance change when they start to, to draw about dreaming of being president um, of Congo or Uganda or dreaming of being a nurse um, so he or she could care for other children who've been orphaned um, or being a teacher. So yeah, you, you're, it takes, I think a bit for them to get there, but, um, but it just ignites their spirit. You can just see their eyes dancing when they start to dream. As you work with these kids, do you see, I mean, just the, the professions that you just mentioned, you know, being a nurse or a teacher or being president, it sounds like having come from what they've come from, they, as you work with them through this process, they kind of want to go back and help others out of it. Do, do you, is that a pattern that you, you see in these kids? Definitely, definitely. And, and I think, you know, in, in the book, I say, when your greatest heartache becomes your greatest ministry, grace comes full circle. Mm -hmm. 
And I saw that in my own life, but then also we see that with the kids that we work with, um, that when you see a shift in, in their healing when they begin to think about what can God do with my pain? How can he use this for good? So we have kids that are going back to their villages um, and they're teaching them about peace and reconciliation and forgiveness and bringing them the gospel. Um, and they're doing that because they themselves were so broken and peace means so much to them because they've been in the deepest places of war. Um, we have one, one of our graduates is in university. She was a girl soldier and used as a sex slave. And she's in university getting her degree in counseling so she can come back and be a counselor at the center. We have another boy, a graduate, and he's becoming a nurse so he can come back and be a nurse at the rehabilitation center that Exile runs. Um, so they just, when you're able to live from a place of deep purpose, then even though you're still in a war zone, um, you, you, you know that your life is rich. Mm-hmm. Do you think that deep purpose is something that really helps them bring them out of it? Because, you know, here in the West, whatever country everybody listening is from, um, we do not, on a daily basis, experience the trauma that they have experienced, and yet we struggle. So how are they able to come from such depths to being in university, to wanting to be a counselor or a nurse and going back and wanting to rescue people? Is it that sense of purpose and the need that they see? Or or what kind of process do you take them through to bring them so far? Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things. So one is culturally, they're just so different than the West. You know, we honestly, we're addicted to our things and we, um, it's hard for us to see life through spiritual eyes sometimes because we feel like we have to have the latest thing or we have to live up to someone's standards or, um, we're always trying to climb a ladder. And when you live in poverty and especially when you live in in a war zone, you live in, in darkness or, or a post-conflict area. Um, my experience has been they just see life more through spiritual eyes. Mm. And so because of that, they understand purpose at a deeper level. They understand the meaning of life at a deeper level. Um, And they're able to go about life looking at it through the lens of really what matters in life. Um, You know, most of our kids, they have a few changes of clothes and um, they they definitely don't eat as much as kids do over here just because the the food isn't, um, isn't, in plenty, you know, like it is here. Mm -hmm. So they are just grateful for anything, anything that they get. They're so, so grateful for. And having that heart of gratitude totally changes a person, whether you're in the West or somewhere else, it just totally changes the person and the child. And, um, and that part, we don't have to teach them just because that's, that's their experience. And it's something that we in the West probably will never grasp. Like we'll probably never be that desperate for God, for our lives, or for food. I mean, maybe, but um, but most of us won't. So they have a richness with their relationship with the Lord, too, just because um, they will say, God saved me when I was in the bush, or God saved me to live, or He saved me to dance, or He saved me to minister to others. So that's kind of their perspective of life. How has this impacted, because you still have a practice in Nashville, correct? Yeah. How does how has that impacted your practice now? Because I can I can imagine that I not being a counselor and maybe a little harsh would be like, 
dude, just pull it together. You know, I've seen so much worse. This is not that bad. How do you balance that? Yeah, that's a great question. At first, it was really tough, honestly, because, you know, I would I would come back with um, I would come back from Africa and just two or three days later, I was seeing um, people in my counseling practice who were angry at their husband because he didn't listen to them you know, when they were sharing something or, um, angry at their, at their wife or their girlfriend, um, for, for, you know, a valid reason if you're here in the West, but, um, it was really hard at first. And I remember going to coffee with a friend and, and they said, um, you just need to stop it. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you know, their pain is just as real because they've never been over there. They've never seen what you've seen. And so I, I think at that point I really got it, that our pain is real and our brokenness is real, whether we've gone through deep, deep darkness um, in a war zone with a warlord or if we're really broken in our marriage. So um, we're all broken in, in different ways. But I do, I've changed my, um, my practice a little bit now. I definitely do more coaching because it's a little bit more on the positive bent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do trauma work here. We do trauma work overseas. Um, but I do think it's neat because a lot of my clients um, have followed my blog and followed our writings and that it's even changed them just really seeing and hearing the stories of the kids. It's, it's you know, impacted them as well. I love that. So you actually don't work just by yourself with Exile International. You were married recently. And so tell me how you and your husband work together in this organization. Sure. It's really a cool story. Um, so I founded Exile in 2008 and, um, you know, we had a small team over here and a larger team in Africa. All of our programs are run by local leaders. Um, but we definitely needed more help and I was wearing a whole lot of hats, um, and had been praying for really somebody to, to help us in terms of, um, another leader on our team. And um, I had mutual friend connected, Matthew and I, not for the purposes of anything other than just connecting us professionally. Uh, Matthew went to Dallas Theological Seminary, master's in counseling with an emphasis in trauma. And when I met him, he had done work with um, tsunami victims. He'd done work with um, sex slaves in Indonesia. He'd, he'd been to Uganda and had met former child soldiers, um, was really familiar with the LRA. And his purpose was to find a nonprofit to work with who, um, who was doing rehabilitative work with former child soldiers and children who'd been used as sex slaves. So I had a a mutual friend who connected us and he said, um, Matthew said he looked at our website and looked at the mission statement. He said, that's the mission statement of my life. Mm. Um, so he started working with us and there was a connection and, um, dated for a couple years and always committed to God that the mission came first and nothing was going to get in the way of that. And, um, and I think because of that, God kind of waited until we were both ready and had surrendered our lives to Jesus 100%, whether we were ever going to be married to anyone or not. We knew that marriage was a bonus and not a necessity to be happy. And, um, so out of that, he really connected our hearts and we were two people running toward the same thing and didn't really even know each other. And, um, then we kind of looked to our left and looked to our right, and we saw that person running the same race. Um, so now we're able to run the programs together, and um, God's been really kind in that. Was that a hard step to take, considering the pain that you'd gone through previously? Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I um, I always joked that I was going to be a Protestant nun. <laughs> so my goal was just never to get married again, and I was going to probably adopt um, one or two African babies, and I was just going to be fine. God was my soulmate, and that's all I needed. Um, so it did take a while for my heart to open up to that. Um, and and Matthew has his own story of, of pain as well in his life, but it's really neat to see how God has refined both of us through the act of a relationship and a godly relationship and how he's opened our hearts to trust and um, to be vulnerable and to refine each other when we need that. Um, and then always like we're, we're each other's biggest accountability partner. So it really helps us in just striving toward the same goal of serving the same God. Has it been easy to work together as a married couple or has that been a challenge? Oh, it's definitely been a challenge. We'll be the first to say that that's probably our biggest challenge because we're both so passionate about this. It's not like one person is, oh, this is kind of cool. We're both headfirst, so passionate about helping these kids. So, and we're both opinionated. Um, so again, I mean, it's, it's Jesus really using that to refine us and um, tame our wills and tame our pride and um, we went to actually we went to pre-engagement counseling. We didn't do premarital counseling. We did pre-engagement <laughs> counseling. Which is that I, really I, is that actually a thing? Or yes, is- it's a thing, and I highly recommend it. Um, because you know when you most of the time when you get to the point of being engaged and then doing premarital, your head's already in the wedding, and it's it's often kind of harder to deal with your icky stuff in the middle of wedding preparation and everything is supposed to be wonderful. And so, yeah, we went through two to three months of pre-engagement counseling just to make sure that we had worked through anything that we had, we needed to work through before we went to that next step. So when our, um, it was our last pre, pre-engagement, I guess at this point it was premarital counseling session. And she said, it's been great to work with you guys. And we said, oh, we'll see you in about three or four months. And she said, what? And we said, oh, we're, we're lifers. So <laughs> We'll be back periodically just to check in to make sure we're doing what we need to do. That is sounds so wise. I've heard that from a lot of people, how, how valuable that is. And for the moms listening that maybe feel like their marriage could use that, how would you, I don't know if you've ever had to do this with any of your clients, but how would you approach or, or help them approach their spouse about the idea of, hey, it would be helpful for us to go to counseling, you know, without you know having it be some sort of alarm that everything is on the rocks. We just want to do some preventative counseling. How would you encourage uh, a woman to approach her husband about that? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I think, you know, and I have worked with clients um, regarding this, but I think the goal of any relationship, especially a marital relationship, is how can I love you better? Um, how can I be a better wife? How can I be a better husband? How can... How can we grow this kind of engine that we're running together? Um, and that's a great way to approach your spouse. You know, I really want to learn to love you better. And I want us to be the best us that we can be for the sake of our children. And um, so I'm just wondering if you might be open or what you think about going to talk to somebody. Um, for guys, I use the car analogy a lot. So if you take your car in for maintenance, pretty often it's going to last longer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that as couples, it's great to, to model that to our friends um, going into counseling for a tune-up or to make sure that, that we're where we need to be. Because we're, as a, as a couple, we're the foundation of our marriage. So if that's our, our family, so if that's not running well, 
then our foundation is cracked a little bit. Um, so that's what I would recommend and encourage. Well, I love how your whole story, just the entirety of it, from your history and your story to where you are now to what you do is all about redemption. Uh, what would you say to any mom listening who feels like maybe that as a mom, they're just blown in and they're beyond redemption or that their kids are just a mess and beyond redemption or that their marriage is beyond redemption? What encouragement would you give to them? Well, I think it's great to kind of own that and to realize that we kind of, we are a mess sometimes and our kids are a mess sometimes and our marriage is a mess sometimes. And that is called normal. It really is. I mean, I think that um, it's expected in life and we are going to make really bad decisions. We are going to have places in our life where we have deep, deep regret. Um, but the beauty in all of that is when you surrender to God in that broken place and you just say, God, how can you help me? How can you put things back together so that this can be a blessing to you so that we can glorify you through our lives? Um, then that's, that's the good stuff. That's the really, really good stuff when you get on the other side of it. But the first step always is just to say, you know, this is it and life is messy and, um, and I am broken and that's okay. But, um, the good stuff comes when you, when you reach out to someone and you say, I need help or I need to talk or this is what I'm struggling with. Then that's where growth starts to happen. It's kind of like, you know, it's the, it's the whole pruning analogy. You kind of have to prune in order to, to have growth. But, um, you know, we've got in my own story and our kids stories, we, you know, you would never think when you're in those dark places that God could use you to a point that he's used you um, on the other end of it. And um, so that's what I would just really encourage them to take the first steps toward healing and growth and reaching out for help. And I love that coming from you because you've seen the ultimate in redemption. You know, these kids have experienced things that, you know, you might say that we can only imagine, but honestly, we probably really can't. You know, it's it's probably more than we could even imagine, just the depth of, you know, heartache and pain that they've experienced. And you've seen that redemption from all that pain to kids going to school, to learning to be nurses and, and leaders of their country. What What have you learned about just the resilience of these kids and, and maybe even just about the African people you talked about, just the difference in culture. What have you learned about them that, that we could apply to our own lives? Yeah, I think about, I tell this story um, in my book about this, um, a couple stories. One is a Kenya man that I met one time and um, he was raised in poverty. He, he tells the story of his mom taking off her dress every night before bed. They were homeless, and he, she would lay it on the ground so that the kids would have something to sleep on so they wouldn't have to just sleep on just um, the dirt. And, um, and how he had lost multiple siblings from poverty or death. Um, and I just remember asking him, why are you not blaming God through all of your pain and everything you've gone through? And he looked at me like I was speaking a foreign language. And he just said, why would I do that? Because God brings life and God brings healing. Um, he said, the enemy in man brings evil. He said, why would I blame God for, for, for something when he's given me life? And we see that a lot with our kids. There's a story of, um, we, tell, we tell Baraka's story a lot. Um, he was abducted at 10, escaped 
the rebel group and then was re-abducted at 15 by another rebel group and then escaped. And when he came to our programs, he was so broken. He would have been forced to kill and he had been forced to, um, you know, in captivity for years. So, um, you know, he, he had been trapped really in this, in this, um, world of, of pain and brokenness and war. And, um, he graduated our program actually in August of last year and he was reunified with his family. And, um, he came back down to see Matthew and I, whenever we were visiting our programs in the spring and we said, Baraka, how are you? And he said, I'm good, um, but I need a Bible. And I said, well, what happened to the Bible that we gave you? Because we always give them Bibles. You know, very first thing we do is give them Bibles. And, and he said, um, well, I was studying with one of the rebels, and they wanted to learn more about forgiveness, and they wanted to learn more about Jesus. And we were, of course, taken back. And as he went on to explain, he is now doing a Bible study with a very rebel group that he was a part of three days a week, all on his own, teaching them about forgiveness and reconciliation and bringing them the gospel. And the only thing he wanted to do when he left is bring back more Bibles for the rebels. So we, we packed him up with as many Bibles as he could carry, um, and he went back. And so since then, he's, he's still studying with the rebels. And, and he'll tell you that the reason why I went through that pain is so I could now bring the gospel to the rebels because... Um, they wouldn't listen to me if I was just a normal person. Mm-hmm. They're listening to me because I was once a rebel like them. How did? How does it, anyone really? But how does he get to the that point of forgiveness to go back and want to share the gospel with them? I mean, obviously Jesus, but you know, I, I, that's just so unfathomable, probably to so many of us who, in small ways harbor unforgiveness how do they how what do you walk them through what scriptures do you lead them through that they get to that point of wanting to go back and minister yeah again great question it's definitely a process and we do use um in our program we use a trauma care and forgiveness curriculum so it talks a lot about um forgiveness being the freedom you know that frees us from pain that um we talk about um, our pain being like the venom in a snake bite. So if a snake bites you, um, then you have the venom or the pain inside. But by letting that go, you're able to free yourself. And so you, your spirit is healed um, as opposed to holding that in. And then your spirit can die because of that. Um, but it's also very, um, what I found is it's, it's very cultural. So um, in the African countries that I've visited, um, it's a very, they're very literal. So they think very literally. So if the Bible says, forgive your enemies, they literally believe as we all should, I am commanded to forgive my enemies and I don't have another choice because I won't be forgiven if I'm not, if I don't extend forgiveness. Um, there's a story of Judith and she was, um, forced to participate in, in killings, uh, even of her own family members. And, and, we had asked her if the rebels were here, the rebels that made you do that, or if Joseph Coney, uh, the rebel leader, um, were here, what would you tell him? And without missing a beat, she said, I would tell him to come back home so I could forgive him. Mm. And I even said, Judith, how is that possible? And she said, well, the Bible says to forgive, so I have to forgive. It's very, it's very much an intentional mentality, very much a choice. Um, very, very much a choice. They look at it like I, I'm choosing to 
walk in forgiveness. It may not come overnight, but it's like I'm choosing to walk or open that gate and go into the garden of forgiveness and, and at least start that process. That story just gave me chills. I mean, wow. How, you know, even as we even attempt to imagine all that she's experienced for those words to just come out of her mouth like that, that is so powerful. And Mm -hmm. I know you share all kinds of stories uh, about these kids and about your own life in your book. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the book. Sure. It's called The Color of Grace. And um, it it begins with my own story through brokenness and um, coming out of really dark times and um, breaking this really cage of perfectionism that I was in. It talks about reaching out for help and going into the treatment center and how that literally did leave, lead me into um, a conflict zone in, um, in Africa um, where I met children that asked me to be their moms who were uh, rescued child soldiers and women trying to give me their children and um, just how I processed that and then how that led me into founding Exile and um, kind of going into the stories of the kids, um, some really scary times where uh, the rebels actually took over the city where the center is, the rehabilitation center, um, and, and what kind of came out of that. And then the book ends with um, the, the kids writing a letter to the world. So I asked them, if you could write a letter to the world, what would you say? And in almost all of their answers, they talked about forgiveness. And so the book actually ends with their, um, their words and, and their, um, some, some letters in there that they wrote telling their story. It's actually in their own handwriting. Um, so it's very much a, a book, um, that's dripping with grace and, um, dripping with redemption and, and really everywhere, everywhere, every page that you turn, there's more stories about redemption and grace. I love it. You have the foreword was written by Katie Davis. Uh, she wrote Kisses from Katie, which is a fantastic book. And and uh, when I first heard about you, I, I went to the, the book website. And I mean, I don't know that you could have gotten more striking recommendation. Havens, who is this brilliant photographer who ha- I, I just I heard her speak at a conference once talking about the way that she approaches because she does a lot of photography with nonprofits and organizations I don't know if she does photography for you, but like compassion and and those organizations and just the way that she strives to honor um, the people that she's photographing instead of just trying to get a good picture. And I just remember being so struck by her. And so when I saw all those recommendations, I was like, wow, this has got to be an incredible, incredible book. And, and it is. And can people get it anywhere? Uh, or is there are specific stores where it, they can get it? Sure, they can get it anywhere books are sold. Um, you can visit colorofgracebook.com, and there are also links of different um, different stores where you can buy it, but Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Amazon, um, pretty much wherever books are sold. Now, for the moms listening, um, it's hard, I know, for many of them to hear what some of these kids have gone through. And, and on one hand, we, we want to do something, but we don't know what to do. We don't know where to start. I think a good place to start is just to listen to the stories and, you know, getting the color of grace. You read it and you hear their stories and you hear their experiences. Um, and then, you know, after they do that, what can they do next? How can they practically, in the midst of their daily lives, get involved? Yeah, we love to invite people into the kids' stories. Um, 
Matthew, my husband, talks a lot about being moved by something, something and how we can allow that self to push us into movement. And I think there are two different things. It's really easy to be moved by something. Um, but what we're called to do is to, is to move, to, um, to let that pu- push us into movement. So we, we love to ask people to pray, and we don't take that lightly. Um, we, you know, the Rehabilitation Center in Congo is still in a conflict zone. So rebels are still active, and we still need a lot of prayers for safety. Um, in Uganda, our program's there. The war is over, but, um, you know, poverty is still is very rampant. So uh, we love to invite people to pray for our ministry and for our kids um, and then to partner with us. And that is that can be done through a lot of different ways. We have something called a restore partner, and it's um, it's just giving monthly. Some people give ten dollars. Some people give a hundred. We have some people giving five hundred dollars. So it's whatever, you know, we can give and sacrifice just so we can continue to do what we do um, on a monthly basis and providing the care to the kids that they need. We also have a sponsorship program where you can actually sponsor a child. And moms and families and kids love this um, because you can receive a picture of the child. You can write letters to your child. Uh, They can write letters to you. um, And there's tons of creative ways to get involved and, and to get your kids involved and drawing letters for our kids, or um, um, we have some churches who gather the kids together and they'll do an activity where the child will have um, their hand and and kind of put their hand in finger paint and place their handprint on a piece of paper. Those pieces of paper are laminated and the words hand in hand, we can change the world are written across of it. So we're able to take those pieces of paper back to our kids just to remind them that someone is praying for them in America. And we've been blown away at how powerful that has been, um, just knowing that someone is there praying for them. But we love to invite people to visit our website. There are ways to get involved, ways to get your churches involved. Orphan Sunday is actually coming up in November, um, and we're constantly looking for churches to partner with um, for Orphan Sunday. Most of the kids we work with have been orphaned. Um, and we truly believe that if a child's been orphaned, then that child then becomes all, all of our, you know, our children. So, um, and I think that's what Jesus commands us to do is to take care of the orphan and the widow. So we look at that very literally. Um, and we believe that it's our responsibility to take care of children who've been orphaned. So yeah, you can visit the website, exileinternational.org, or you can email info at exileinternational.org. Fantastic. Bethany, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you sharing their stories, sharing your story. And I I think every mom listening is just going to take off their headphones or however they're listening to it and look at their day and their life a little bit differently. And and I think that's such a powerful thing for us to have happened, to have our perspective shifted. So if you're listening right now, don't let it end there. Go check out um, their website, check out her book, and, and let your heart be moved. Um, let God inspire you to action. If I can be cheesy there for a moment, but I didn't name the blog that for for nothing. I truly want you to be to be moved and motivated because uh, faith without um, action is really not what God has for us. So, Bethany, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and can you give us those web addresses one more time? Sure. Um, our website is exileinternational.org. And then colorofgracebook.com. And then my website is bethanyhaleywilliams.com. 
Wonderful. Thanks so much, Bethany. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you would take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I bow before the throne of a noble king. And in this place, my heart begins to sing. It's gonna be a good day, a good day filled with His grace, His grace and sweet new mercy. May my 